There is a trend we can all clearly see of large investment groups buying smaller service companies. What's this going to mean for you? Stay tuned and I'll tell you what I think. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So probably every one of you knows somebody who's selling their business. I used to get lots of calls. You're probably getting lots of calls. You know, companies are in these investment firms or are calling random service companies. It doesn't matter if you're in the trades, if you're in blue collar industries, white collar industries like accounting firms, bookkeeping firms, uh, medical practices, veterinary clinics. It, you know, there's a very um, clear trend of these investment firms creating a portfolio of service companies and expanding uh, through acquisitions. So if you haven't gotten these calls, get ready. They're probably coming your way. Uh, but you probably know lots of folks who are, you've probably talked to industry peers where you're like, hey, yeah, we got another call. You probably know somebody who sold their business in the last couple of years in your industry. Uh, you know, kids of the business owners don't want them. That's very well documented. The children of baby boomers who started these kinds of companies or third generation, kids just don't want them. It's not, a, it's not exciting to own a roofing company or an accounting firm. Uh, they don't want to go in the family business. They want to. They want to do other things that are more fun. And so, that's um, not across the board, but it's it's a pretty well known trend for sure. So, why are the big companies interested? Why are these big investment firms interested in these service companies now? This has kind of come out of the blue a little bit as far as the volume. There's always been this. Uh, there's always been investment firms who buy service companies. That's not new, but the volume is unprecedented. The, the, the number of companies, small, you know, what we would call mom and pop kind of companies selling to these large investment groups is pretty unprecedented. In one area I'm familiar with in the, in the Seattle Tacoma area, there, one company has bought like four companies in one industry. They're not changing the names. They're not changing the branding. They're going to, they're going to independently operate as they always have. Um, that's, that's different. It's a little bit different. So, so why are the big companies, why are these investment firms, why are they interested in this? Why are they doing this now? Well, the truth is they know a financial downturn is coming. And these companies and these industries often provide need to have, not nice to have services. So when the economy turns, as it will, because it always does, you've heard me say that before, nobody knows when it's going to happen. It could be three months, three, three years, who knows, but it always does. There's no such thing as having an economy that just is off to the races the way our economy has been for the last several years indefinitely. That's not how it works. It always comes to an end for a while. We recover, and then it's off to the races again. But there's always a correction period. And, and when the economy turns, com- these kinds of companies that provide services are going to stay busier than companies selling 
more glamorous things like timeshares. It's just how it works. When the economy contracts, people lose their jobs. They buy stuff they have to buy rather than stuff they want to buy. That's just how it works. So these investment firms are buying companies that offer those kinds of services. You know, when you're when there's a, a leak in your roof, whether you like it or not, if you have to take money out of your retirement account to fix it, you have to because your home is, is you know, for most people, the home is the, the, the most valuable asset they'll ever have. If you have a plumbing problem, you don't, not very many folks are willing to live without water. They'll live without a lot of things. Water is not one of them. Power is another. Like uh, you have to get your taxes done. And, and for some people, it's just, it's too complicated. They wouldn't get it right. It's not worth the risk of getting audited because they get it wrong. Like these are, these are industries where, where people need to have these things more or less. They're not nice to have. They're, they're must-haves. So uh, that's why these investment firms are going after these types of companies now. And again, you can not agree with me, not like what, that, what I'm saying. Like It sounds like I'm a Debbie Downer. This is probably the fourth time I've talked in the last couple of years, talked about like a recession coming, but it, it just always does. It doesn't mean that you're not going to thrive. I built my entire company through the last big recession. And uh, we we did really well during it. Doesn't mean that things can't go well. It just means people make different buying decisions for sure. So the business owners who are ready to retire, we know what they want to go. They want to retire. So it's it's kind of a win win. They get what they want. They get the money. They built a business. They cash out. They move to you know Scottsdale or whatever wherever they're going to go. Um, so it makes sense for them. By the way, shameless plug here: if you know someone who is nearing retirement age who doesn't want to sell to the, one of these big company investment firms, but they have a leadership team that isn't quite ready to run the company. That's my absolute strength is helping people like that develop their leadership team within a short amount of time, a couple of years to run the company so they can sell internally. They can, they can be a remote owner and not sell the company at all, but have somebody else run it. Like that's my absolute strength. So if you know somebody like that, uh, feel free to, to connect me to them. I'm easy to find on Facebook and and I'm, I'm around. I'm easy to find. Anyhow, so we know it's in it for the seller retirement. Part of what's in it for the buyer is a portfolio of companies that will have customers when people are making more pragmatic buying decisions. But there's more to it than that. And to figure out what else they'll get, let's look at the biggest name in in kind of corporate America, if you will, or one of the biggest names, certainly the biggest name in in brick and mortar retail, which is Walmart. Walmart recently posted their numbers for shareholders. They, they posted their third quarter results and also uh, their, their 2023 fiscal year to date numbers. During this, you know, their announcement, by the way, their CEO said deflation is coming. So this, this is a big deal to pay attention to. This is not some dope like me saying, hey, things are coming to an end. Think bad things are coming. This is a CEO of Walmart who probably has a lot more knowledge and data than I do, uh, but also saying like, hey, the things are going to, things are changing. We need to pay attention. When, when CEOs of companies like that are talking, I think it's important that we listen. Anyhow, Walmart posts their numbers for third quarter and 2023 year to date, which their numbers are just staggering. $474 billion with a B in revenue year to date for their fiscal year, which um, I don't know what the, what, what their fiscal year is, but whatever they're, Roughly three quarters away, probably through it or whatever. Anyhow, they're forecasting for the year, or no, I'm sorry, year to date is $474 billion in revenue and $10.6 billion in profit. Now, those are big numbers. $10.6 billion in profit sounds like a, 
a huge amount. But let's take away some of the zeros. That's 2.24% to the bottom line. Now, if you think about like what's the equivalency in our world, in in you know what what Wall Street would call micro businesses, which is companies with under 50 employees are considered micro businesses. Let's look at a comparison of what that would be like. 2.24% 2, 2 to the bottom line is the equivalent of instead of a $474 billion company, let's look at a, a company doing $4.74 million in revenue per year. So, you know, that's a that's a company that probably has, you know, around um, a dozens, uh, maybe 10 to 12, somewhere in there, uh, service employees out in the field or revenue producing employees or something like that. So we're talking about what we would consider in our world kind of a medium sized company you know, maybe 10 or 12 people out in the field or, or in the revenue producing roles in the office and a support staff of managers and whatever. So if we look at a similar kind of uh, profit percentage, a company doing $4.7 million a year in revenue, this is the equivalent, the 10.6 billion that Walmart did is the equivalent of putting 106,000 to the bottom line. That's probably less than half of what most companies that size are doing in profit now. So a company doing 4.74 million, if they were doing 15% of the bottom line, that's $711,000. 10% would be $474,000 compared to Walmart's, the equivalent here, 106,000. So 10% would be 474,000 the bottom line. We're talking 106,000. So what do these buyers get? These buyers get better pricing on materials and services because of volume pricing. So if you own, you know, in one geographic area, instead of having this one small company with that's doing $4.7 million in revenue, if you have six companies like that, well, you're doing $30 million in revenue, somewhere in there, you're buying a lot more materials. You can negotiate better prices with the, with the suppliers. You can negotiate better prices with subcontractors. You can negotiate all kinds of better prices. So they're going to pay less for the same things that their competitors are going to pay who have one standalone operation. So they get better pricing that way. They also get more efficiency and less costly support services internally like HR and accounting. So you can have one HR manager who can oversee, you know, a number of branches of companies in the same industry or even different industries who have a number of employees. You would need one HR manager to, to, to handle, you know, several branches. I don't know if that's five or 15 or depends on their model, right? Same with accounting. You could, if you had eight different branches in the same industry or all different industries, they could all do their invoicing remote. Everything is paperless now. You don't need people on site anymore. You send the electronic invoices to their office in El Paso or whatever, and they all do this stuff remotely, right? So they get the efficiency of having, you know, these kinds of departments that mom and pops have to have one of, they could have one doing several branches. So they get, they get efficiency in in these kinds of things, better buying power and more and more volume uh, in their internal support, the more volume they can get out of a team of people. So they that's what they get. But they also get, again, because of volume, they get the ability to survive and thrive on lower margins. So if you're a one one branch company doing four hundred you know four point seven million, the idea of putting one hundred six thousand dollars at the bottom line is like. Well, that's not that's not awesome, but if you owned again, uh, you know, ten of these companies, and you're doing 
you know, 47 million and you're putting a million in the bottom line. Well, that's, you know, if you had a handful of shareholders, that's doable. We could, we could make money with that. You're going to pull a salary plus the, plus the profits. This becomes more, the, the volume allows them to do things that you can't really do on a smaller scale. So bottom line, what's this mean for us? Well, I think, and I don't have a crystal ball, but this is the, the trend is pretty clear to see from my perspective. The, the small companies are being bought by big companies because they want the, the revenue in a time when people are buying more pragmatically and they want the benefit of having this efficiency and better pricing. So that's things we're going to have to combat. We're going to have to put serious effort into activities to compete in this new era, which is going to be different. This is one of the key things I think we all need to pay attention to. We cannot operate as if the last few years where the government's throwing trillions of dollars at people is how it will be in 2029 or 2027 or 2025 or 2024 even. I think it's crazy to think that way. It's going to be different. Now, how it's going to be different exactly, I, I don't know. But it's going to be different. These companies who have way better advisors than we do are making pretty bold moves here and, and big moves and quick moves. And they're paying a premium for these companies. They're not paying two and a half times EBITDA like they were in 2007. They're paying seven times EBITDA on a company who was doing a high, much higher amount of, of revenue and, and profit. So they're paying a premium for these companies to do this now. And they weren't paying their premium back in 2007 when, or 2009 even, you know, 2006 and those in that era, two and a half, three times EBITDA was kind of the, the going rate. Now it's, you know, seven, nine in some cases. It's crazy. But the average is, let's say, four, four and a half or five. Well, they're paying a premium to get these companies. Why is that? We need to pay attention to that, I think. So we, what it means for us, we're going to have to put serious effort into activities to compete in this new era, which means we're going to have to get more efficient. They're going to gain efficiency by sharing work across branches. Again, an example would be one HR team for multiple companies, and they're going to, and they will gain efficiency by doing what big companies do better than small companies, which in large part is having a much higher commitment to training. Large companies, by and large, across the board, have a much higher commitment to consistent training. They just value it more. If you look at the hours per employee in a year at places like Amazon in training or places like Walmart in training or in places like you know the national company I used to work for, which is all blue-collar stuff, but the hours invested per employee per year in training is much higher than your average small mom-and-pop place with you know 20 employees or less it's just off the charts different so we're going to have to compete on the thing on the areas they gain efficiency which is again sharing the work across multiple branches better buying power and that's higher commitment to training we're gonna have to gain an edge where they can't which for many of us is providing a better better customer experience you know it it is different going to walmart and buying a wedding dress or a dress or for i guess you wouldn't buy a wedding dress there but uh, you buying a dress at walmart is different than going to a boutique where it's a small family-owned operation. It's a different buying expense, experience. It's different buying from Amazon than it is your local your local little shop on, on Main Street you know, in your quaint little town. It just is. Now, some people value that and some people don't. And, and so we're not going to capture everyone by, by providing a better customer experience. So this is something we have to pay, pay attention to. That can't be the only bullet in our gun. That's a bullet in our gun for sure. And we can capture people that, that they can't because we will be able to provide a better experience. But sometimes people don't care about that as much as we would like. And we can't force them to care about that. We can't make them care about that. We need to pay attention to the, the things that they will care about. 
our abilities are to be nimble and to provide a better experience, but we can't rely on those things alone. We're also going to have to work very hard to find our own efficiencies. If they're willing to, to operate on 2.2% of the bottom line, and we're trying to operate at 15% of the bottom line, and we're going to rely solely on customer experience, that will work to some degree for some customers. It's not going to work across the board, though. We're going to have to find a way to be more efficient. So, you know, we're going to have to look at things diff- differently. Your CSR might also have to take on some accounting responsibilities. Your ops manager might also be in charge of sales. Who knows how this is going to look? I don't, but it will not look like it does now where we are very compartmentalized and we're very rigid and, and all these kinds of things. And we don't invest in things like training. We're going to have to, we're going to have to invest and focus on training our teams more than ever. Because while the big companies are generally committed to doing more training, small companies can do more effective training. I really believe this having worked for both and having seen how training works in both big companies do more of it, but small companies can do it better. I really believe this, but only if they put in the time to actually do the training. So the key, in my opinion, over the next several years is going to be to first recognize what the shift is indicating. We got to pay attention to this. And again, if you don't believe me, that's fine, but, but it, it, it's indicating something. If you don't agree with my theory on what it's indicating, I, fine, I get it. But it's indicating something, and I would invite you to come to your own conclusion on what you think it is. Forget what I'm saying. But it does mean something. So the, And they're focusing on these service-based industries. And, and the business world in those industries then is going to be different. So now, again, we, you know, and I hate to say this stuff that's cliche. Now more than ever, we need to do whatever. Okay, but for most of us, we've owned companies less than 20 or 30 years. So it is going to be a big change for us. It might be not now more than ever. It might be a bigger change than it was in 2007 to 2010. It might very well be. And we just need to be ready to adapt. And we have to recognize the things that got us here based on the economy and the, and the external factors and macro and micro external factors then will not be the same in 2026 and 2025 and 2029. It's going to be different. We're going to have to pay attention and, and do things a little bit differently. And I think one of the things is going to be training for sure and efficiency because this is areas they're going to be much more um, able to do successfully. They just have a history of doing that kind of stuff. So again, what made, made us successful over the last decade or two is not likely to be the same things that are going to make us successful in the intermediate future. So again, I wouldn't focus so much on this, listening to this, I wouldn't so, focus so much on my conclusions because I could very well be wrong and, and you you know better than me what you're going to face. But there are these are indicating something. And so if you don't agree with my, my theory on what that the outcomes are going to be, fine. But come to your own and, and start thinking about what is it going to look like to have a Walmart equivalent own seven of my competitors? It's going to affect your business. What are the kinds of things that they would be doing that I would need to be able to combat to, to still thrive in that environment? And again, just looking at how their, their, they, their, their model is based upon volume. They can get by at 2.24%. Most of us, that would be that would be a challenge. So we're going to have to figure it out. So I hate for the doom and gloom. This feels like a kind of a doom and gloom thing. And I don't mean it to be that way. Again, just speaking for myself, the last recession is when we built our company. We, we thrived through that. So I don't want to turn this into like a, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. I don't mean that at all. But I do mean we better dang well pay attention to what's going on around us so we can thrive in that environment. This doesn't mean we're going to we're going to struggle and suffer so much. Some will, and the ones that, that will are going to be the ones who aren't paying attention and don't adapt. 
those of who, who do pay attention and do adapt, there's no reason you can't crush it in a down economy. Our company grew the most in the down economy because everyone else was kind of asleep at the wheel. So I don't I don't mean this to sound doom and gloom at all. I mean quite the quite the opposite. But only if we pay attention and adapt. So anyhow, if you find this information I share helpful, please share this podcast with a friend or colleague you think can benefit. Of course, public sharing is appreciated also. But it's super easy now. You click the little share icon, you can text it, you can send it on Facebook, you can send it on Twitter, Instagram. Like it's easy to get this stuff out. So you never know what kind of simple message like this might help somebody who's a friend of yours. Please, uh, uh, you can feel good about yourself saying you did your good deed for the day or the week. If you uh, if you share this and maybe make somebody's life easier, help them learn a little bit about how, how they can build their business easier. So, yeah, that's it for this week. And I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.